When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello everyone, I'm Chris Wynn. Welcome to the Roker Report podcast in association with the Sunderland Community Soup Kitchen as we look ahead to hopefully bouncing back after our midweek defeat at Borough as we take on Millwall at the Stadium of Light this weekend. So to help us catch up with all things Millwall, we're very pleased to have the company of Omar Renan from That Millwall Podcast. Hello Omar. Hello Chris, how are you? You alright? I'm not too bad. Welcome to the Roker Report podcast. How are you keeping? Yeah, not too bad. So I'm really looking forward to this and look forward to a good catch up and discuss the yeah. joys of a game like Sunderland versus Millwall. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Well, we well as you know, we've been missing for quite a while from the championship, so it's good to catch up with uh, kind of some of the clubs there because we've in our last few years been catching up with Margaret and Stanley and Burton Albion and, and all that sort of stuff. But obviously, yeah, I said like you're from the that Millwall podcast. Um, yeah. So how long has that been up and running? Um, it was a lockdown baby, if anything, really. Uh, we started it, I think, just as we went into lockdown and the football started to come back. We all kind of missed the post-match kind of chatter, you know, in the pub or pre-game, you know, when you're on the train up to an away day as such. And I think we missed that a lot. And myself and Mickey, I've known him for a little while, where we do the podcast kind of, you know, out of a hobby, really. And we started it off during lockdown. I'll be honest, when the football came back and we were allowed to go to the games again, I considered kind of like maybe binning it off, but... You know, doing it live and sometimes occasionally and getting the shows where we get interactions with people and discuss the game and, you know, kind of capture that moment we was looking for. It's just kind of continued from there and just continue to kind of grow. And we do podcasts twice a week. Um, we do YouTube content and, you know, it's kind of brought out and meeting loads of people. I'm sure, Chris, you've maybe got similar experiences doing the podcast your side. But it's just nice to, you know, interact with people that you might not have done beforehand, really. It's, it's a great kind of thing. And obviously, capture all the moments, the highs and the lows of it. But it's it's a really enjoyable thing to do, I suppose. And it's long way to continue. Yeah, that's it. I mean, it is a real kind of community thing, you know, not only with kind of the group that you do it with, but obviously, you know, talking to the likes of yourself and all that sort of stuff, you kind of keep growing that group or that community that you kind of interact with. But um, I, I read that kind of it's um, really interactive. I mean, do you record outside the ground or do you get fans to come on the podcast or how, how does it work? So we'd started to do a lot of kind of Twitter spaces more recently, but initially during lockdown, we was doing the kind of um, live shows on YouTube and like I said, capturing that kind of post-match reaction. Um, we do try to get as interactive as possible and get people's thoughts and feedback and get people to contribute and come on the show. Um, you do get interesting opinions at times, but I think that's kind of what adds to it. And, you know, it's uh, it's, it's all kind of good to get anyone involved and any opinion is, is a valid opinion really when it comes to, you know, paying hard-earned money to watch your team up and down the country. Yeah. I mean, for you personally, I mean, how far does your love of Millwall go back? Oh, it's deep-rooted. I mean, 
since my dad took me when I was about six or seven years old, I've had a season ticket. And more recently, as I got older and I could afford to go to away games, I'm home and away pretty much every weekend. Um, I know you're probably gonna ask me if I'm going Saturday. I'm gutted I'm not. I've got a engagement party I've got to go to, my friend's engagement. Um and it's actually the first away I'll be missing this season. So I mean I looked I look, I was looking for this one game I was looking out for most and my friend's booked an engagement party to be the same day Sunday and away. And it's like, do I piss my friend off or do I kind of, you know, bite the bullet and go to the game? Or I was like, you know what, I missed one game, it probably do me the world of good because if I missed one, at least I know, you know, I won't go to every game this season and get hooked to it. But yeah, I'm I'm a diehard, I love it. I mean you can't replace that feeling on a Saturday of being in a stadium, um, traveling up and down, watching your side, watching us lose typically away from home. We're not great away from home, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a bit. Um, but you can't replace that feeling on a Saturday, really. And it's the best feeling in the world, really, going to watch your team, I suppose, up and down the country. Well, he, he doesn't sound like much of a mate. I mean, planning his engagement party. I think I he's mean, um I think he's a little bit we call under the farm I suppose and he's gone with what his missus wants to do but you know I, I can't let him down and it kind of forces my hand a bit like I said so I bit the bullet I'm gutted but you know nonetheless I'm sure I'll catch a stream of it somewhere online on on the weekend. Yeah, uh, it was like last season. I know there was uh, well I know of a few Sunderland fans who completely cancelled all their plans when the playoffs came round because yeah, <laughs> that's it. They, they didn't think they didn't think it would happen come uh, come Christmas, but uh, <laughs> but I mean. You know, I go back, um, you know, I'm kind of, you know, a bit of an old git now, but I go back to the the Millwall glory days, really, that those first division years, you know, beginning of the 90s, 19, kind of 89, 1990, Teddy Sheringham, Tony Cascarino and all that sort of stuff. I mean, probably legends at Millwall, but but um, kind of when, when did you start off going to going to see Millwall? Probably from about 2000 onwards. So um, I'm 27, so a bit younger, obviously, and you can work out gauge when I started going. Um, but 2000, 2001, I think it was my first game. Um, so we're talking, you know, Tim Cahill's and Neil Harris's and Paul Ifill's, um, perhaps even, I'll probably think of a Sunderland reference here. But, you know, that's kind of era onwards, the 2000s onwards. Um, uh, Kevin Muscat era, you know, when we played you guys in 2004 yeah. FA Cup semi-final. So if you picture that team, I had to get that one in early. Um, apologies, Chris, yeah. and all to listeners. But, you know, that's well, you know, that kind of era, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to see how long it was going to take before 2004 <laughs> came up. But uh, what what was that? I think it was like five minutes on the clock. But, uh, but there you go. I think I was trying to think back. I think I think you had uh, I think you had Darren Byfield. Might have been a few years after. Yeah, we think, did. Uh, Darren Byfield. Darren Byfield played for you, but uh, but yeah, I mean, actually going back, you mentioned Neil Harris there. I imagine he's been kind of a, one of the main people in your kind of football and life. He was there as a player, then there as a good few years as a manager. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, one of my first kind of childhood heroes, I suppose, you know, obviously not only has he gone on to be a record all-time goal scorer, he kind of came back when you shouldn't come back as a legend, as a player, and then obviously took us from League One, got us promoted to the Championship, and left us on a solid footing for where we are now under Gary Rowett. So, I mean, you could almost say he's a legend twice in his own right, which is, you know, a testament to the man. And I suppose he is that kind of folklore hero of my generation, really. Yeah, and he's, he's still popular then, even though kind of he left. You, you weren't doing that well the season he left, were you? No, I think he was probably four or five seasons into the gig at that time. And I think we was in our first season in the Championship, maybe fourth. I think it was the first season, you know, he obviously got us up there. We kind of had an outside chance to get into the playoffs again. Um, missed out two to three games to go, struggled the year after. And I think kind of what kind of, you know, personifies that is six, seven games into the season, he does leave. And I think he decided he had enough. He thought he took the club as far as he could. And, you know, since then we've gone on leaps and bounds and got three top half finishes in a row and, you know, kind of gave out, you know, I think he was kind of earmarked as the person that kind of called Gary Rowett to say, come and take my job sort of thing. So, 
you know, there's that story there to it as well. And I think in that in that weird way, you know, he knew the, the time was right to, to kind of walk away. He wasn't kind of too proud to kind of, you know, try and persevere with it. It's, and if anything, he said, you know what, I took the club as far as I can. I want to pass over to someone like Gary Rowett. And that's where we are now, really. Yeah, he does does seem like a good manager. And I always remember he was a good signing on one of the old championship managers. I'll, I'll not forget him <laughs> for that. But uh, but I mean, I mean, just since those um, days of playing in Division One, you know, like I said, when I was young, Mill, Millwall were there for mm-hmm. a couple of seasons. I mean, on the face of it, it's been, you know, it's been tough with, you know, I was looking into it, you know, 21 seasons since then in the championship, 11 in League One. And that's kind of the 32 years since you were last in the top flight. I mean, have Millwall been punching below their weight for a good few years? Or, or would you say that for the size of the club and being surrounded by some of those bigger teams in the capital, is is, is that about right? I think you're right. I think, you know, you joked about talking to Acton Stanley fans and stuff like that last season. I've, we've been in the championship now for five, six seasons. I'm thinking, when are we going to get relegated sort of thing? Because that's just kind of what we've done in, in my lifetime anyway. Um, and, you know, we've actually kind of stabilised ourselves now as a solid championship football club. And I think for us, that's kind of... Not our ceiling because obviously, you know, you look at clubs like Brentford, for example, that have broken the mould and done it themselves with a similar fan base, for example, in size numbers, I'm saying. Um, and, you know, I, I think that's probably where we are at. And I think, you know, to be top half, three, four seasons in a row now, you know, we're probably one of the top 30 clubs in the in the football league, I suppose you could say, in that old scenario. But, yeah, the, the days you mentioned in the, in the late 80s, that is like the glory days personified for Millwall. My old man always talks about it and says that's the kind of the top pinnacle moment. Um, if only I was old enough to really appreciate it back then, obviously, and be around then, because, you know, you're right, obviously, the likes of Herlocks, you know, Teddy Sheringham's, Tony Cascarino's, Casey Keller, the, the names go on, really, for that kind of era for Millwall. But I think we are where we are, and I think that's kind of, as what we're doing now is a testament to itself. But there's always, as fans, you know, we always want more and always kind of, always hungry to see what we can do, I suppose. That's a fair way of putting it. Yeah, I think uh, yeah. You mentioned Casey Keller there. I think he's got a particular nickname with uh, with the Sunderland fans. Uh, you know, the chant might come up on on Saturday. Uh, you never know. But uh, after his altercation with Don Goodman in the in the nineties, I'm sure people listening will remember. I've heard the story actually as well. The, the Don Goodman Casey Keller story. Funnily enough, so I know exactly what you're on about there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In, in, in the goal mouth, I, I, I yeah. remember that as a as a kid. But. Um, I mean, as you said, you know, six successful season in the in the championship after you came back up from from League One. You've only finished in the bottom half once, and and like you said, I mean, you know, you, you're suggesting that you know because you've been, you know, you spent what is it one in three seasons in League One, kind of in your lifetime, I suppose, or mm-hmm. maybe a bit longer than that. Because you've been in the championship for the, for the last six years. I mean, are the fans now saying, well, we've had those eight place finishes? Are you starting to kind of look upwards a little bit? Yeah, definitely. I think it's a hard one, isn't it? Because it's better the devil you know, I suppose, than the devil you don't. And it's like, you know, you don't want to kind of get too ambitious or, you know, we're a solidly brand club. We've had the same chairman since 2006, 2007, John Berylson, um, a, a, an American man from Boston. And, you know, we're a steady run club. We never overspend. We don't live above our means. You know, we're sufficient in itself. And, you know, I think every Easter we make approximately 10 million pound losses and, you know, we're realistic about that, you know, but we don't ever kind of overspend the mark, I guess you could say. Um, but there is a hunger there to think, you know, we've done this now three seasons in a row and, you know, we're starting to, especially this summer, we've made a lot of changes and made a lot of signings. And it's like, well, what can we do now? But in a sense of that, it's, you're rolling the dice, aren't you? You're taking a risk and it could pay off, but it could also backfire on you. So, you know, I think we are where we are um, and it's, 
you know, maybe that's in a sense of if you think for someone like Stoke City, for example, in the Premier League on the Pulis, like that's the kind of where they were, if that makes sense. And it's like mm. that's where we are now. We're kind of niched into that kind of shoehorn position. And I think a lot of people actually fancy us to do well this year. And, you know, we started off the season a bit iffy. Um, but, you know, I think in a weird way, if we've had that kind of slumber start, we want to be back to being the underdogs because that's what we like to be and go into games mm. with people not fancying us, but we turn up and do the business when people don't expect it to happen, really. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's that kind of stick or twist, is it? And, and you you mentioned um, the chairman actually, and earlier today I was reading the recent statement from your CEO. It was on it was on your website, um, and I, I found it really interesting reading through it. There's a couple of things that actually jumped out um, when I was looking through it because I mean the first one is something that could impact every club in the division, and it was um, looking at um, safe standing because mm-hmm. it looks like the CEO. Um, you know, was talking about that, and just like us, I mean, we we have a section at the stadium light who try and stand up throughout the whole game. You know, away days, you you don't sit down at away days, um. So it's something kind of that I think all clubs are talking about. I mean, are the Millwall fans pushing for the the owners to go down that route? Because he seemed to say that it was a big thing in the recent fans forum you had. I think yeah, I think it's not necessarily a big campaign that you see online or be aware of really, but. I think, you know, I have to say, we're one of those, we're a working class South East London football club and you mentioned all these clubs in London and we're kind of in and around it and we find it always hard to compete with the bigger clubs that are in the Premier Division and obviously, you know, got all the funds to spend. But I think, you know, we have our niches to us and I think you're right about, you know, you go to away games, even at home games, you know, you get a lot of people still standing and stuff like that as well. I think the safe standing thing is, I don't know, I think it's not something... We're a bit kind of setting our ways. It's like, do we want safe standing? I suppose we just do what we want anyway, if that makes sense. Like, but it is something I know the club are trying to do, and I think they're trying to make the match day experience a bit more fun for us by you know bringing in kind of merchandising kiosks and through kiosks and try try to add to the kind of match day experience. I, I suppose in that sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you, you did mention the chairman. I mean, being there for for quite a while now. Because the other thing that stood out reading that communication is for, well, for a start it isn't something that we get at Sunderland in terms of you know it was it's quite interesting to read a communication saying this is how things are kind of off the field um but um I mean actually I was reading it it even mentioned um the club were talking to the caterers to reduce the price of a pint at the ground which I thought was uh yeah quite good to read but I mean it does sound like reading through that and the the, the hints that you've made it, it seems like Millwall are in a good place off the pitch you've got owners who actually care about the interests of the fans Definitely. And I think, you know, it goes back to what I'm saying. He's been around for a long time, Berylson. And I think he bought the club. There's always been this kind of, you know, you might ask me in a bit about um, we had a kind of fallout with the council and potentially might be selling our, or they might be selling our stadium from underneath our kind of our feet, so to speak, or the surrounding area anyway. Um, and I think Berylson, when he bought the club, was aware of his developments and kind of a lot of kind of people and a lot of fans maybe thought, is he here maybe to make a quick buck from us? Because, you know, we're in London. If there's some real estate in the area, he might buy that, develop it, then obviously sell the club on and make a quick profit but if anything he said it himself you know after his first couple seasons there he got the bug for it and I think we are a well-run club but also you know I think the fans are very conscious to keep our image about us as well and I think the club are aware of that too it's a tricky one because obviously our image is is love it or hate it I suppose we're a bit marmite to a lot of people in 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 the country and in the football world Um, but I think we're very aware of what we are and I think also you know the club itself is steadily run and it's you know it's, it's a club that I think, you know, the owners want to be here for as long as they can be. And I think you can see that with what we do on a you know yearly basis. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just while we're on the, the subject of off the field matters, I mean, that that situation with the stadium, 
I mean, is that a potential kind of Coventry in the making or anything like that? It's not gone away yet. Um, it did go away initially three, four years ago. And I think, you know, Mickey, who actually does the podcast with me, was actually once the fan on the board that we elected in a few years ago. And um, he'd laugh if he was listening to me talk about him saying that, because we always say he refers to himself as the ex-fan on the board. And, you know, he was once on the <laughs> director's board as the, as the fan on the board. And we're like, all right, Mickey, good for you. But um, I think, you know... I think with that, it's something that's gone away for now, but it could come back in the future. Apparently, relations are a lot better now. But obviously, you know, these developers, especially in London, they buy this land. So they try to make, try to develop flats and sell it on for profit. And it's something that's still lurking in the background. Um, we've actually, you know, talk about being railway. We've actually also spent money on trying to develop a training ground in the remote area of Kent, which is not too far from the stadium, but it's 20, 30 miles out of London. Um, so, you know, the club off the field is definitely going in the right direction. And there's an infrastructure starting to be built and it's quite exciting and it's also kind of securing the long-term future. So when the chairman maybe does decide to sell, you can't argue where he took over from us to where we are as a club now, so to speak. So it's exciting times off the field, I would say. Let's go back on the pitch. Um, I mean, it's been Gary Rowett in charge since October 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh, just having a quick glance, um, I mean, you know, from the outside, looking from the outside, it looks like he's done a solid job, 8th, 11th and, and 9th. I mean, that that's me looking from the outside, but is that how Millwall fans have seen it over the last few years, that Rowett's done a good, solid job? I think if you look at it as a whole, no one can contest that whatsoever and be very, you know, you, you can't fault the manager whatsoever, really. We're football fans, ultimately, aren't we? And the, the fan base is never always unison. So there's always people that maybe question the tactics he might play and the formation and what players he decides to play or how we play as a side and what pattern of play we decide to do and whether we decide to do ticky-tackle or decide to play route one, you know, you're never going to get all of that in unison. Um, but the general consensus is definitely, you know, there's a real kind of support for the manager, I think. And he's been backed in the summer by the boards. You know, we've bought some players in. We've broken our record transfer fee, um, which is still only £1.7 million. So, you know, we, we do well for where we are, you know, when we go back to the kind of argument of where Mill should be, you know, that that is where we are. So, um I think overall, I'd probably say 75% in support and 25% against. But, you know, you can't fault what he's done over the last three seasons and where he's put us, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Because, um, well, I was having a look um, at the summer business. And again, it looks decent on paper. I mean, you brought in George Honeyman from Hull, who Sunderland fans know all about. And I'll, go, I'll yeah. come back on to, yeah, I'll come back on to um, later. Um, the other interesting one, Benica Forby, um, incredibly 29 years old. I'm not sure how. Quite, you know, I'm not sure how that happened. He got to 29. He was, he was a young player at Arsenal last time. Yeah. <laughs> and suddenly, um, but there's two interesting ones in Andreas uh, Vogslammer, um, and especially Zian Fleming, who I think is the guy who broke your transfer record, wasn't he? I think Fortuna Sittard, I think he signed from, was mm-hmm. it, or someone like that. Um, so what's the feeling on the business that you've been able to get done? It's um yeah I think like I said it's like I said earlier it's a bit of a roll of dice this summer so we made a lot of changes. A phobia was initially on loan last year and scored fourteen goals I think for us last season, um and he was at, went back to Stoke City and supposedly was going to make a move over to Belgium. Um, the club escapes me at the moment. What team that's called? It will come back to people in a bit. Uh, maybe Club Bruges. I've, I've Club Bruges. I'm going to say. Um, and then supposedly that pulled that fell out, fell through last minute, and we managed to take him back and get him on a permanent deal. So yeah, that's a great bit of business for us because. I mean, again, always fans are divided on opinion, but with a Benicophobia, you see a championship striker, he's probably going to score 10 to 15 goals in the championship if he's fit the whole season. So with a club like us, that guarantees you goals and that's enough goals that you should not be hopefully relegated. So you're kind of playing the percentage game there, I think, with a sign like that. With uh, Summer and uh, Fleming, yeah, that is something completely different for us. We went to the foreign market and 
I could not tell you the last time I went to the foreign market. You probably have to go back to the early 2000s when we was a bit mismanaged at the time and signed players that we'd even heard of. I think if you don't know if you heard of Barry Powell, for example, that was a name that was around the leagues for a long time and he was abroad and came back over. Um, you know, but like we've gone abroad and like it is an eye raiser for us and we're all kind of positive and excited by it. We do think Vogelstammer and Fleming especially, you know, could be key players for us this season, but you know, the proof remains in the pudding, I suppose, and you've got to wait until they do the bits on the pitch for you, really. But yeah, it's an interesting summer, a lot of signings. Um, I'm, I'm excited by Honeyman. I know you want to ask me about that in a minute, but that's the kind of play that Millwall fans get behind. And I'm pretty sure Sunderland fans are quite the same in that sense of, you know, a non-nonsense, tiring midfielder that's got a bit of think about him and loves to tackle. And that's what gets us fans going, really, I have to admit. Yeah, yeah. Well, like I said, I'll come back on to George Honeyman in, in a bit, but uh, I want to get into this season and the story so far um, in, a, in a moment as well, um, because um, we, we talked earlier about where the club sits. But I mean, in terms of sheer expectations, I mean, what's the minimum expectations from this season? I think it's just to not get relegated. That's the minimum expectation. It's always the the expectation is... I think, obviously, the expectation, I think, is to build on what we've done the last three seasons. Obviously, you want to try and, again consolidating the top half and if you're lucky and if you've still got games to play for when you get to that stage of the season try and get into the playoffs but I'd probably say expectation is top half and I'd probably say the ambition is playoffs you know that's everyone's ambition isn't it um, but I think for a club like us maybe it's myself like I'm always positive I'm always kind of you know want good things to happen but my key thing is just don't get relegated first and that's kind of the impression <laughs> I think we've got from like I said my lifetime of League One Championship League One Championship but I'll give credit to Rowett. That's what he's trying to steer away from. We don't want to talk about relegation. We're trying to get up into the promised land. So, yeah, the expectation is top half, I'd say, but the ambition and hope is maybe at playoffs if we're lucky. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I mean, pretty solid start of the season. Won three and lost four of the first eight games. Um, But the midweek win over Cardiff, I mean, that looked to me like a big one because you'd lost three and drawn one of the four games before that midweek fixture. I mean, was it a game in midweek where you really needed that three points to get you out of that kind of rut that you'd get in? Definitely. I think if you look at our start of the season, it's, it's, it's kind of, you know, on paper, you know, you score points at home and you've not won away. But the away games we've had have been very, very tough. I think, you know, if you look at them, it's Sheffield United, who we lost to quite comfortably. Burnley, Norwich, you know, all three teams that should be up there this season. And then you've got Swansea away, who we've done well to get two late goals in the 93rd, 95th minute. Both own goals. If you wait to look back at that, it, I would recommend it because it made for, you know, good to view in and it was brilliant kind of scenes for us when we was down at Swansea for that. Um, yeah, I think that it's hard, isn't it? Because we want us to try and nick a win. I think if we look at back at the games, it maybe was one or two results away from being in the you know in up in the mix already, but it's still too early in the season to tell. Um, but I think Saturday's win was huge for us because you're right, you know, four games without a win, three defeats. We've not really kept a clean sheet since the start of the season either, and I think that was kind of the big one for me. You know, another clean sheet on the board, another confidence booster, and ultimately another win at home. And I think you know our home form is shouldn't be doubted, and I don't think it will be throughout the season. We'll win more at home than we lose at home, which is obviously you know, something good to have. I think we had the third or fourth best uh, home form last season, but I think it's just the away form we need to fix sooner rather than later. When we look at the lights of playing Sun on the way, that's what we know. The hope, there's not anticipation, but there's always hope that we turn the corner and win a, get some points on the board away from home. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, it was only four games, um, but, you know, when, when they start racking up the defeats, you know, and you're not kind of getting one point in, one point out of 12 and all that sort of stuff. I mean, how was the fans' reaction to that? I mean, did they, did they kind of realise that these runs are going to come because, 
you're not that team where you're just going to be solidly in the top six. I mean, was there any grumbling going on during that run? Um, I think, yeah, it's, I think, like I said, a bit of realism to realise in the opposition we was playing. I think the only poor one in that whole 7-8 game run has been the defeat at home to Reading, but Reading has seemed to be a bit of a banana skin for most sides in the division at the moment. So, yeah, I think a sense of realism is maybe needed sometimes. You know, you get carried away when, you know, after three or four games you're in the playoffs, but it's like, wait till 12-15 games, I say, till the table starts to take shape and that's when you can kind of say, right, this is where we are at the moment. But I think, it was more relief on Saturday, I would say, definitely. Just relief that we got the rat over with and then we can look ahead to the next few games for the international break and hopefully pick up some more points, I'd say. Yeah, you're not wrong about Redden. I mean, they appointed Paul Ince and everyone said they were, that's it, they're, they're down, but they're, they're doing all right. Um, but, I mean, so just speaking of Gary Rowett again, I mean, he's had success uh, most places he's been at, maybe other than Stoke, I think, really, they spell it Stoke. But, um, but how, how does he like to set this Millwall side up and um, what what should we expect in terms of his approach to the game on Saturday? Um, he's very quite pragmatic, I'd say. Um, he doesn't, we won't look to blow teams away. Um, you know, I'll say this now and if we win 5-0 on Saturday, which will never happen, by the way, so don't, don't <laughs> but you know, we don't, we're quite, we look to ease our way into games a lot. Um, we play a, Three central defenders. A lot of teams in the division tend to do that. You know, I think Sutherland do that as well, if I'm not mistaken, though. Um, so yeah. a back five, two midfielders that tend to be kind of looking to come deep and get on the ball. And then you have a number 10 in there um, and then two strikers up top. So five, two, one, two. Um, it can change to five, two, three with two wingers. Um, but most of the season, it's been five, two, one, two, I'd say. So that's the formation we tend to go for. And like I said, we, we, we don't look to, we're not quick starters at the block either, especially away from home. Um, we, we try to sit back and ease our way into the game. And hopefully, you know, with the likes of Fleming and Vloggerslammer and Bradshaw or Phoebe, we'll try to get something on the break early doors and try and see it from there, really. But yeah, that's a frustration, I think, from fans. But that's that's how we play, really. And you can't knock it. Like, like I said, three seasons, three top half finishes for us. And it, it, it works. That's how we play at the minute. Yeah, it should be interesting, actually, because it sounds like we're, we're going to line up kind of man for man, you know, exactly the same of course. type of system. I mean, I mean, if, if we've done our homework, I mean, who should we be looking at at the big dangers? Who's going to cause us a, a threat at the weekend? Um, we've just signed uh, Callum Styles from Barnsley, who I expect will play again at left wing back um, on loan with a view to a permanent. Um, our wing backs will be the kind of danger man, I think, for us because we've also got a couple of loanies from Leeds United and Jamie Shackleton who plays the right wing back position for us at the moment, a short midfielder but can play on the right hand side in the right wing back position. Um, and he's a busy kind of, you know, they're, they're both good ball players but both busy on the ball as well. Um, so I'd hope to see our wing backs impress again like they did last Saturday. Um, and then I think the kind of the you know, the one that could make something happen magic will be our number 10, Fleming, who's not really clicked yet, but his performances are growing, seems to be growing in confidence. And, you know, away from home, I think it's where we're going to see the best of him, where, you know, perhaps Sunderland might come and attack us. If he picks that space up on the ball when he gets the chance to pick a pass or make something happen, I think he's that player who might, might make something happen for us. And obviously, yeah. for us, our set-piece threat is where we score a lot of our goals from. So if you give us a corner, watch out for... Big Jake Cooper and Charlie Creswell coming forward for headers. So that's kind of yeah. where we're at, I think. Yeah, it's interesting. It seems like every fan you talk to of opposition sides now, they always say that their wing-backs are their best players. It's funny. And then, you know, every, it's almost where the game has won and lost at the minute. But yeah. I mean, just because we mentioned um, George Honeyman earlier, I noticed that during the week he got on just in the last minute off the bench. I mean, how's he started his time at Mohawk? Um, so yeah, obviously signed him from Hull. I, I was really excited to see him come in. To be fair, I've seen him play for Hull a few times. He scores goals. I've been playing for Sunderland actually before as well, and he scored a lot of goals for Hull. 
Um, and I think it was a bit of a coup for us. And I think a lot of people thought the same thing that watched the championship a lot. He came in, first game done quite well. I think he got an assist from a set piece and he takes a lot of our corners for us when he plays. Um, I think he was a victim of his own downfall where we played in the cup game and it was his second appearance for us. He got sent off. Um, so I don't know if that's something that some of the fans maybe resonate from. Or, but obviously, like I said, I, I big him up because I, lo- I love it. I love his his personality and the way he plays on the pitch. And you can see he's never say die attitude. And, he, you know, he's, he's a victim of his own downfall, really, because, you know, we love to see him tackle. But he got put two bookings against Cambridge. Um, and then he came back into the side after that suspension and kind of fell his way out of the side recently. Um, I think it's just, you know, the manager's trying to find, especially during that four-game winless run, trying to find his best sort of setup. But I think, you know, there's no doubt he will be in our strongest eleven. It's just maybe for the moment, especially after the last Saturday, maybe might have a bit part to play on, on the weekend as well. Yeah, yeah, he'll he'll get a good reception at the at the weekend. He's he's still popular up here, but um, but as, as you touched on, because you're obviously travelling up at the weekend and you, you're playing away from home, you've you've mentioned that you know that you've lost three and drawn one out of the four you played so far. Like you said, you've had Burnley, you've had Sheffield United. They're going to be the two of the toughest teams to go to um this season. So I mean, are those stats kind of misleading? And you 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 doing are the performances kind of suggesting that a win's around the corner away from home? It's hard to say, to be honest. Um, I think, like I said, I think we'll we'll have opportunities in the game. Um, I think I do I do look at this um, as like a, I think a lot of fans do too. You know, we've got the four tricky away games out of the way now in our kind of open season plan, so to speak. And hopefully, we can look at these games and try and attack them. Um, I, I don't know if that will happen, but you know, I think that's the hope and ambition really. To you know, the performances haven't been great away from home, but I think we look at that and go, well, we can write them off now because we played three of the top sides and one was at Swansea on a Tuesday night. So, you know, it's hard hard going to go in them places. So I think now we're thinking, right, let's go. Sunderland away. Can we do it? Let's give it a go. So I think that's kind of where we are now at the moment with it. Do I think we could turn the corner and do it? Yes. Is that based on anything? No. <laughs> so, yeah, that's where we are, I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we we haven't met uh, since um, November 2017 when, you know, the stadium of light went from my memory. It was possibly the worst display of goalkeeping yeah. um, that I've seen, <laughs> you know, on a, on a football pinch in my entire life. I mean, beyond that, it was August 2003 since you last did a job on us at the stadium of light uh, because we're not mentioning Old Trafford um, again. You know, we mentioned it once already. Um, it was it was actually, you mentioned Noel Whelan. It was Noel Whelan go. who scored the goal that day. So what are Millwall fans expecting from the, the trip up to the northeast this weekend? I think we know it's going to be a tough place to go. And I know you've, you've sold a lot of season tickets and the fans are excited to be back in the championship. I think we know ultimately if we give you a chance to get into the game and get going, we're going to find it tough. And I know the players will react to you and, you know, that could be our kind of downfall. I think we are, you know, just looking forward to going up there and giving a game of it, really. And I think we'll have a good following up there. It's been a few years since we've been up there. I am gutted I can't go, like I said earlier. <laughs> um, I lo- You mentioned the game where we drew 2-2. I think we had Archer in goal and you might have had, I can't remember the keeper's name you had actually at the time. For some reason, I think oh, it was, I think it weren't still. I know you had that Robin Roy, but I know you had still that season yeah. as well, didn't you? But um, I just remember the four calamity goals from goalkeepers. I think Savile <laughs> scored twice from us from two free kicks and he just dropped it in. And we had Archer yeah. in goal and it was two crosses and he just taps them both in as well. And I'm thinking, <laughs> what is going on here? And another day that should have been a nil-nil. So some reason that was 2-2 and we was all treated to a goal fest, which we never deserved. So, um, yeah, I think, look, obviously I hope we got then put a good performance in. And if we put the performance in, I hope it's enough for us to get the three points. But I think ultimately, you know, 
probably hope for a draw, if I'm honest. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, I mean, on another day, I think those two goalkeepers would have been uh, arrested for match fixing, to be honest. <laughs> but, uh, but on that note, it just leaves me to say thank you very much for joining us, Omer. It's been an absolute pleasure and all the best for the season ahead, mate. Likewise, Chris. And um, yeah, good luck on Saturday. Well, maybe good luck after Saturday, but uh, yeah, look, look forward to doing the reversal anyway when you come back down to the den anyway. So sounds good. Yeah, nice. I'm from five o'clock Saturday. Yeah, but that's the one. <laughs> and, and, until we meet again. Nice that's one. It. Thanks again, Omer. My pleasure. Uh, and thanks again, everyone, for listening. Uh, keep a look out at Rocker Report for all the build up ahead of the game against Millwall at the weekend and keep an eye out in all the usual places for the next pod that should be dropping very soon. But from us, bye for now. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.